everyone, and welcome back to another episode of The Books to Gaze. I'm Sam, and my pronouns are she, her. And I'm Alex, and my pronouns are she, her. And today we have a special guest, a new author. Um, Her book debuted last month. Can you please introduce yourself, your pronouns, and the book that you were the author of? Hi, everyone. My name is Margaret Wood. My pronouns are she, her, and I'm the author of Fresh. Yeah! I feel like we've seen it everywhere on Bookstagram because everyone was really excited about it coming out and I read it immediately. So I'm excited to be here. Thank you. I'm so excited that it's finally here. It's only just been sitting in my head for like seven years, you know? Oh my goodness. (laughs) That's a long time. Yeah. I feel like I never know how long authors have to wait to actually see the fruits of their labor. First time I had the idea was in 2014. um, And then an agent told me nobody would ever uh, publish a book about college girls wanting to have sex and oh, no. so I shelved it for a while and then I came back to it you know in like 2018 and that's when I started to really write it again after I got a new agent yeah <laughs> so, maybe I guess in like 2014 maybe publishing was a little not ready yes thank I god mean, would, that was like pre-Simon versus homo sapiens agenda like okay YA was not not what it is today <laughs> um thank you that we are not in those times yeah, because mm. I read this book and I literally texted. We have a group chat and two of our friends went to Emerson. So I immediately was like, hello, is Emerson like this? And if I could redo my college experience, I would do it in a heartbeat so I could go somewhere gayer. Like, what did I do? Yes. I'm did they that. confirm that it was like Emerson? Yeah, um, <laughs> you actually might know one of them. Um her name is Books and Blazers on Instagram. She works. Yes, we've connected. We yeah. did not overlap when I was at Emerson, but um, I'm a little bit older. Yeah, <laughs> but, yeah, yeah. But we have connected about it because of she discovered the book and yes, she told it. us about it. So I was like, oh well, then I have to read about this because she was so excited. This was at her college, and so I asked her because I we just visited her in New York, and I'm like, okay, but is it actually like this? And she's like, yes. <laughs> Like, damn it. I didn't know this place existed. I really yeah. miss out. I'm going to be honest. Yes. <laughs> you know, it's funny. I didn't know how gay it was until I got there. Um, and it was like immediately within the first week, I was like, oh, all right. <laughs> this place is cool. Yeah. But so it's a did theater you- school. So what do you expect? <laughs> of course. It, yeah. So was your college experience kind of similar to Elliot's? Yes. Um. Although it was a bit the other way around with Elliot and her RA. My R fresh, she wasn't actually my uh, freshman year RA. She was on the fourth floor. I was on the third floor my freshman year. But the first person to ever ask me out and to like really pursue me was the fourth floor RA. Her name was also Margot. She's a really cool woman. We're still friends. Um, and I kept, and I was like so like new to Emerson and like, she was just so out and I hadn't really been around anybody that was like, so, cause I'm from Ohio. So like there were like, I was queer and like, I had a couple friends or we weren't like, right. Out, yes. out, yeah. <laughs> you know, in high school, it was all very like cloak and dagger. Um, so I remember just being so terrified. She asked me out first week, first person asked me out and I was like, oh, I'm scared, but I want to say yes, but like, it's too much. <laughs> so we ended up becoming really good friends actually. <laughs> That is so fun. Yeah. That's so nice. I didn't realize how closely you were going to like mirror the story there right? <laughs> with the RA too. Yeah. Okay. My yeah, it's funny. 
people I went to Emerson with have like reached out and they're like, is this supposed to be, Mar- is Rose supposed to be Margo? And I'm like, no, I swear it's not. The other Margo. <laughs> yeah, the other Margo. She used um, a great line on me. She has this, she had this belt that said Margo on it. And she said that if we went out, we could share the belt. And I was like, tempting. <laughs> wow, other Margo. That is a line. I'm here for that. Thank I know. You. It was I'm a good line. <laughs> I feel like it's it's such queer culture too to date someone with your same name and it's like totally fine. Like I also think it's strange that you found another Margo because I know yeah. zero Margos. She's like one of that. she's the only one I've ever known that like I hung out with. And so that that's it. I've I've only have one Margo friend. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, there's they're not like an abundance of Marcos. <laughs> no. <laughs> okay, so firstly, how was pub day for you? Did you celebrate? How'd you feel? How did it all go? It was publishing week is when you're in the era of the pandemic is so bizarre because yeah. like everybody's excited and you're doing stuff like I did a bunch of virtual events and you're getting tagged and all of these things on social. And so it was really, really wonderful. But at the same time, I just like wore my pajamas the whole day I didn't leave my house once like you know um we like there was a party that we had like for friends here in Portland we had like a party but um and so that was nice but it wasn't like book people you know they're just like my friends or whatever so but I'm so used to like the the book launch and all of that stuff like going to a bookstore so I went to I drove around I went to go to Powell's to go see my copy of Fresh they didn't have it Burn their house down. Thank you. Hurtful. I'd be like, um, hello. Yeah. So they didn't have, well, I guess that what they were, they were like holding them aside because I was going to do an event later in the week. So they were like saving them for online. So they didn't have any in the store, but they do now supposedly. But then I drove to one Burns and Noble, like all the way across town. And they had a copy of, of course it was like buried in the way back. Like, oh my God, (laughs) not the YA section. So I was like, well, this is kind of a letdown. <laughs> okay, well, I have to tell you, when we were in New York, we saw your coffee everywhere. You did. Yay! And yes. it was in my Barnes & Noble because I pre-ordered it online, but then the day of, I went to Barnes & Noble anyway, and it was like, it was there, and I'm like, mm-hmm. oh, I wish I didn't pre-order it because I have to wait until Thursday. <laughs> I, I don't think that Portland is aware that I live here. <laughs> yeah, maybe not. Yeah. Like, someone has uh, to write them a letter. Yeah, they they are aware now, and I've like connected with a couple of the local um, BNNs here. Um, but I don't think anybody, everybody just assumes that I live in New York, which makes sense because I was there for like a decade um, yeah, until right. very recently. So um, I'm glad to hear that New York is they have it, yeah, <laughs> on board. They got you. They I have got you. a question. So as an author, when yeah. you go to a bookstore to sign your book, do you have to like prove that you're the author? Like you can't just pick it up and start signing, right? So I actually don't know what the formal etiquette is from this perspective. I've heard that the best thing to do is to ask first, because what happens is when you sign one of those books, like they aren't returnable. You know what I mean? So some stores are like, are fine with it, you know, you know, especially if it's like a little indie and they have like one copy, I'm sure they would love that, you know, it makes it so much easier for them to sell that. But like if a Barnes & Noble has tons of copies, you can't just go in and start signing everything because they might not sell through those. (laughs) I didn't know. I didn't know you couldn't return a signed copy. Not that I ever would. It's a signed copy. Yeah. Yeah. So you can't return signed copies. So, um, so I did ask, um, I did ask that BNN and they were like, yeah, t- sure. Fine. <laughs> and, um, they didn't actually, they didn't ask my 
Does he ID anything? Yeah, like you're, oh, that's, yeah, now we're going to have random people going in like, I wrote this book. Yeah, now that I think about it, I'm like, Shouldn't they have confirmed the identity? I guess, like, how often do they have people coming in and being like, this Stephen King novel, this, I wrote this. Yeah. I I would have to say, though, I think if I was the cashier and an author came up and was like, hey, can I go sign my book? I would just be, like, starstruck. Yeah. Even if I did not know their book, I'd be like, yeah, (laughs) that'd be wonderful. That's true. I'd probably never think to be like, yeah, prove it. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah, that would be kind of awkward to ask an author to prove that they are that author. I need your resume. Get your agent on the phone. I wonder, that would actually make for a really funny video. (laughs) Since we're talking about funny TikToks. Yeah. Going in and being like pretending I'm another author. (laughs) just see how far can I go before somebody realizes that I'm not actually that author like I don't want to sign that author's book but just be like you sure you don't want to check that I'm not Stephen King (laughs) (laughs) right I want you to do it for like a big author like go in being like actually I'm Margaret Atwood thank you yeah or like yeah something like 1984 and be like I'm here to sign a copy of my book Oh my God. You know, it's funny with the Margaret Atwood thing because my name is so similar to hers, right. Margot Wood and Margaret Atwood. People tag me all the time on Twitter in their like Handmaid's Tale tweets. And they're like, I read the book by Margaret Atwood, but they tag me and I'm just like, you're welcome. You could get away with that. You could be like, no, I just kind of chopped a few letters off and added a few for a pen name. This is me. Also, isn't she like 70 something? <laughs> yeah. Nobody she, has no. to know. I feel Nobody like young, has to know. young people were. from yeah. <laughs> Nobody has to know. Oh, God. TikTok audio. I didn't even, I said that so casually and then realized it was a TikTok audio. I know, that's all. It's in my, it's in earworm. How yes. I speak now in TikTok audios. Um, I'll be honest. I quote TikTok 90% of my day now. Yeah. And like, I teach seventh grade, so I think it's so cool. And so every time I'm like, oh, I know that one. And I'm like, yeah, because you're gay. Nobody thinks I'm cool like, I do TikTok. it. <laughs> Okay, so can you tell us a little about about Fresh and what our readers can expect from Elliot and her story? Yeah, so Fresh is a coming-of-age story. Basically, it's a queer retelling of Emma set at Emerson College. I so, love that. <laughs> um, some people aren't as familiar with the, like, the Emma storyline, mm-hmm. so sometimes when I say that, it just like flies over people's heads. So basically, it is... The story of a girl goes to her freshman year, first time away from home, and she's basically having to take care of herself for the first time in her life, and she makes a lot of mistakes um, <laughs> in, in over the course of the year. And she's trying to figure out who she is, who she wants to be, like, and her, you know, sexuality, but not in terms of like she's not discovering that she's queer, but it's more about like sex versus intimacy. So it's like what comes after you've already come out, after you've had sex for the first time, like all of those sort of seconds when it comes to the sexual exploration process. I think that's so interesting that you say that because I feel like we don't talk about that often. Like we Mm -hmm. talk about the first time, but we don't talk about that like second time and that third time of like, oh, okay. Like figuring out like the complexities of intimacy and sexuality so that yeah I think you know why you know I'm very lucky that my publisher did publish fresh as a YA novel most publishers would probably publish it as adult and then it yeah. would, they would like cross under you know like the red white and royal blue type yeah. of stories and so I think it's interesting that they publish it as YA because that topic specifically is very 
much not explored in way because almost all of it is about firsts and mm-hmm. right, right, right. coming of age as the, through the firsts, you know, yeah. um, and especially like in the high school setting. So for this one to, you know, she never talks about how she lost her virginity. She never talks right. about like the first the people coming, she yeah. ever hooks up. Yeah. You don't know who her first, like <clears throat> who the first person she slept with was. You, you just don't know those things. Cause it doesn't really matter. You know, right. um, what matters is like what's happening currently and what she's currently exploring, exploring. Yeah. Um, so that was like one of the things that, I mean, when I had the original idea way back in 2014, that was one of the themes that I wanted to explore the most was this idea of like a YA novel that kind of just goes like, what's the next chapter? Right. <laughs> yeah. You did all yeah. those things. So exactly. So yeah, you know, when, you know, YA has a lot of like fade to black stuff. And I was like, well, what happens during the black? <laughs> I love what happens, you know, in the fade to black parts? Yeah. Like, you know, is like the sex that they're having, is it any good? Um, probably not. That's, because they're a lot of it is not. Yeah, exactly. So and that it's was okay. really relatable when I was reading that. Cause I, I think, yeah, so many of books stop like, okay, I came out and then the book ends. Okay. I had my first love and then the book ends and I'm like, okay, but there's so much that happens after that. And usually you have like a bazillion like really weird sexual stories and like really yes, great right ones right. and like yeah. really uncomfortable fights with friends and like that stuff is also a good story too. Yeah. Yeah. I'm glad that you guys like that. Cause, um, I was so worried when I was writing this, that I was like, man, is this too real? No, <laughs> like- but it did feel real. I was reading it and I was like, Oh God, I feel like I'm in college again. And I'm like making these same mistakes. And I'm like, Oh, I have to remember that I'm actually almost 30. Like I'm going to close this book and be an adult. It's okay. I'm Damn. glad that it that you were able to get through it. <laughs> no, I loved it, but like it was definitely a relate relatable college experience, and that's yeah. That's why I don't really classify this book as a romance. I mean, there is a romance aspect to it, but I wouldn't call it a romance. I would call it like a raunchy yeah. comedy instead. Yeah. Um, it, you know, like the like super bad or that show Broad City. Like those things, like they talk about sex and they yes. it's definitely about those things, City. but it's not romantic at all. <laughs> it definitely. It actually reminded me a lot of Booksmart, like in ways. Yes. Mm-hmm. And I, I was like, yeah. like, yeah, that's like one of my favorites. I do want the Booksmart after they go to college. Like I want another movie to I come know. out. It was so cute. The high school graduation. Now I want to know what they're doing in college. Exactly. Um, Africa. I, don't I feel like one of them is Elliot Emerson. <laughs> I forget the name, but the one girl. Yeah. Not, yeah. not not Beanie, whatever that actress the is. Other, the other one, yeah. yeah. Beanie Fields female. I, I bet she's having a wonderful college experience. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's funny, though, because I feel like with college, especially if you go to like a, a liberal arts school um, mm-hmm. or not like a big giant state school where there's like frat culture and sports yeah. culture and all that stuff that dominates everything. Um, I feel like with the liberal arts thing, like after your freshman year, it's not really that interesting. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Because then you start to really hunker down and it becomes more about education and internships yeah. and careers yeah. and future. And it's less like wilding out. Yeah. Um, well, that first year you're like, you have that freedom for the first time where you're like, no parents, like I can literally do anything I want. And then you realize yes. like, okay, I can do anything I want, but then look what happens when I don't do anything I'm supposed to. Just because you can doesn't mean you should. Yeah. <laughs> Those consequences get you. Okay. We've all been there. That's yeah. really true. Okay. So you pointed out that you um, 
used kind of Emma as inspiration for some of the parts in the story. So for those that maybe haven't read Emma or don't, aren't as familiar with the story, where would you say you used some of that inspiration in your book? Um, so a really good reference point for people who are not familiar with the Emma plotline is Clueless. Um, I always say that I'm like, yeah. Clueless or Emma? I'm like, it's very similar. Um, yeah. But the, I used bits and pieces of the Emma story framework. I would say for the most part, the whole arc with Rose, her, um, her RA, the Mr. Knightley and um, Emma mm-hmm. storyline, that was probably the most heavily influenced, like what is most heavily influenced in the story. Uh, because their whole relationship, like I had their whole thing, like much earlier in the story when I was originally drafting it and it just, it wasn't working. Mm -hmm. And then once I realized that I was going to rewrite the whole story, but build it on this Emma framework, all of a sudden that whole arc made so much more sense coming in the second half of the story, because that's what is really interesting about Emma is that like the first half of Emma isn't about Emma, like not really, it's about like Harriet and her, you know, Mm -hmm. like hooking her friends up. And so that's sort of what I didn't really want to have Elliot be focusing so much on hooking other people up as she is mostly focused on hooking herself herself up, but she does help with her roommate, you know, and her whole like, oh, I know everything. Like a lot of Emma, um, like Elliot's personality is very similar to Emma's and that they just think that they know everything. Like they're so worldly, even though they're not (laughs) at all. (laughs) Um, yeah. So then with like the dynamic between, um, Rose and Elliot, like that whole push and pull mm-hmm. that really was truly inspired by Mr. Knightley and Emma's romance. Cause I really do love that. I love their romance. And I, it was funny. I didn't realize how controversial Emma was <laughs> until now Yeah, when I'm doing all these podcasts and stuff, because like I read Emma in school and like we studied it and, um, you know, I grew up on Clueless and all those things. And it never occurred to me that people hated her. <laughs> I like did not realize that. Like, I always thought she was just funny, you know, yeah. like, yeah, she's annoying, but like, so, so is everybody. Um, annoying she, female characters always get a bad rap in books. They, they really do. They do. Let us be and, annoying. <laughs> yeah. And I think that's so interesting because like some, you know, and some of the podcasts and stuff, like I did this one, the guy was asking, you know, the host, he was like, well, why did you choose Emma? It's so controversial. Everybody hates Emma. And I was like, do they? <laughs> <laughs> I, was like, I didn't know that people like, hate her. Oh. <laughs> I just thought that she was endearing. Like, you know, like she's just like Cher is in Clueless. Like, right. Maybe that was just a man reading Emma and not like. <laughs> well, no. And then I, of course, the second I got done with that podcast, I immediately started looking all this up and I was like, oh. Do people hate Emma. <laughs> I was like, oh, shoot. <laughs> people yeah, really that happened. Like her. I remember reading Madame Bovary and. I don't remember a lot of the book, but I remember everyone in my class hated her so much that I decided to defend her. And I don't remember what my opinion on her was, but I was like, wait a second. Like, why? Like, she's making, I I can't really remember the story, but I was, it was like me against like 30 people. I'm like, this is not fair. It makes sense I though. Oh, go ahead. Sorry, Samantha. <laughs> I was going to say like, I hear Alex doing yeah. that. That track for her. Yes. I mean, it makes, it makes absolute perfect sense. One class that really stuck with me um, when I was at college that really informed my writing, because I didn't study writing at Emerson. I was a marketing major, but one class that I took was um, like a history of comedy kind of class. Mm-hmm. And it's interesting because Emerson now has a comedy major and I'm like, damn, I should have majored in that. And right, I, cool. <laughs> had that. But the history of comedy class, what our teacher, he really focused it on um, women in comedy and how- oh, yeah 
there's this double standard that women are not allowed to be funny and Mm -hmm. he like broke it all down and and it's still so true and even in just like in novel writing and you look at Emma and people really hate Emma and I'm like is it because that she's she's funny like is that one of the reasons why because she's confident and she's got some you know she she's like assured of herself and people are really uncomfortable with that and they're more comfortable with women who are very like insecure and yes. doubting themselves and they need a man you know like Emma doesn't need Mr. Knightley in order to like you know fully become a better person she needs somebody to push back on her yeah and right. tell her what to do and that just so happens to be Mr. Knightley um but like I just I find it really interesting when you're like what you said earlier Alex it's like p- people really just don't like messy women no in, um, media so it makes sense. It makes total sense. <laughs> yes. Well, it's, it's very interesting because we've talked about this on the podcast before. Like, people don't like, unless you are a man, like, you're not allowed to be messy in books, it feels like, so many times. And we see some, I love reading books where minorities and different types of people get to be messy because we don't always see it because we feel like we have to write these complex books where those characters redeem themselves from where they are or the perfect queer character like you have to be the perfect queer person in order to appeal to like the heteronormative society or else all queer people are bad (laughs) Yeah, and it's especially true in YA because, you know, so much of YA fiction is about presenting these characters on these journeys to better themselves, but like pointing out that everything that they're doing is in fact wrong, you know, Um, but at the same time, we come across a lot of readers who are just like, they want, they don't want their characters to go on that journey, they want them to be very self-aware and aware that these things are wrong (laughs) from the beginning and I'm like well when do you learn those things you know like how how do you learn to be a good sexual partner like yeah (laughs) and not by having some really weird and odd experiences conversations afterwards yes can confirm (laughs) um okay so in the book you made a lot of like really unique narrative and like visual um choices so like the list the choose your own adventures the footnotes like breaking the fourth wall at times um what made you choose to add these elements to the book um a variety of reasons one was the footnotes were always there like from the very beginning Mm -hmm. um and I don't know that I was fully consciously aware of this at the beginning of it it makes all the more sense now but like as I've gone on my own journey but I'm ADHD and I can't look at a wall of, I have a hard time looking at a big block of text mm-hmm. that isn't broken up um, yeah. and has no very, like I, I have to read those things over and over and over again in order to really um, be able to comprehend what I'm reading. Mm-hmm. So when I started to write <laughs> fresh, I was immediately using footnotes to help break things up for me visually right? Um, because it helped me writing it with Elliot's character just like all the way that I wanted her her mind to work mm-hmm. was very similar in the way that my mind works is like breaking things up right so it makes sense because like ultimately she ended up being a very ADHD character like I don't know that I could ever un- yeah. <laughs> like write a character who isn't ADHD just because I can't step out of that 
mindset myself. Um, But once I realized that the footnotes were a beautiful visual representation of somebody who's ADHD and they really helped break up the visualization of the book, I was like, okay, so now she's breaking the fourth wall and she's aware that this is a book, then we should be fully aware that this is, this is a book and play around with every aspect that I can possibly use to like use the book format, the physical book format to enhance the story because this is her book and that's exactly what she would want to do. So like the choose your own adventures are a really amazing way to invite the reader to like, I wanted the, I wanted people reading this book, not just to read about Ellie, but to experience it along with her. And so like, you know, that, that way you would feel like she's like your friend. Right. <laughs> also, they were funny because there was always one answer and it was like, go to the footnote. And it was like, now everything's a catastrophe and we're all yeah, dead. She always does. She always does <laughs> yeah. as an option. <laughs> um, so you're never really, it's not really a choice. Yeah, but choose it's your fun, own yeah. adventures. <laughs> but it can be if you'd like to kill off Elliot, there you go. Um, yeah. <laughs> you choose to do that. <laughs> um, so yeah, I literally sat down. I was writing a list of like, from a production standpoint, I was like, what's every tool in my belt that I could use? Because like in film, when I love movies that break the fourth wall, like I grew up on Saved by the Bell and Zach Morris was always breaking the fourth wall. He would do the stop and then he would address the camera and then he would be like, time in and then everything would go back to normal. And I love that gimmick in Mm -hmm. film and TV. And I was like, what's the... (laughs) Like, what's the, like, literary equivalent of all of these things? Right. All we have is literal text on the page. So I was like, font? Fonts are a thing that I can use. Oh, we can. (laughs) And this was the designer's idea because, like, the the graphical elements, so, like, the string links at the top and, like, the solo cups and all that stuff, that was the... That was all Abrams designer. She came at me and she was like, let's overstuff it. She was like, this is Elliot's book. It should be so much happening Elliot's brain yeah exactly um it's like maximalism yeah (laughs) it was fun I want every book to be like that now even like from the first page where it's like chapter one and there's like never mind I hate how this is writing like I'm gonna start chapter one again and then it's chapter one again I'm like nice (laughs) yeah that was really funny because they thought that was an error um the copy (laughs) editor did so the copy editor kept changing it and I'd change it back and I was like no 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 it's two chapter ones there's no page two yeah (laughs) I love that so much. Yeah, that was fun. Okay, so many queer kids can't wait to go to college and meet more queer people and be able to experience queer life. Was it important for you to have Elliot already out and proud and have so many diverse LGBTQ plus characters in her life? Yeah, it was really, really important to me to show, especially in, again, as a YA novel, what it's you know, it's not the coming out story. This is not Elliot's coming out story. This is, she's already come out. (laughs) She already knows she's bisexual. She's already experienced that. And now she's just living her best queer life, but for the first time away from home. And like, it's, so it's not really about her being queer. She just is, you know? And so I really wanted people to like, especially queer readers, I wanted them to sort of see that themselves, or at least what they can experience, you know, mm-hmm. on the page, especially if they're like still in high school, and maybe they haven't come out yet, just to be like, look, queer kids can be just as messy as the straight kids. Yes. In fact, maybe probably more so. <laughs> yes. yes. 
And so, like, you know, all of her, you know, most of her friends are queer. And that's how it was at Emerson, you know? Everybody was gay by May, (laughs) or at least a lot of people were. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, wow, I really need to redo college. Um, (laughs) I know, I I keep thinking about that. And I'm like, even when I went to Emerson, it was still so forward-thinking and so liberal. And lots of people were out or coming out or exploring that. But, like, I can't even imagine what it's like today. Because, like, back then, we didn't even have, like, the vernacular or the the dialogue and all that stuff. Like, it was very accepting at Emerson when I was there. But, like, my gosh, by, you know now gay marriage is like legal and it's like so many things have changed and I'm like yeah. oh, it'd be so fun to be a queer kid at Emerson right to now it. <laughs> I know I I think about that too but then I'm like do I really want to go back to the early 20s yeah like I know I love being like my age now oh god I would never go back ever no right? if no. I could like go if there was like a queer college with people our age who could like yeah I don't know do what that. that is. I just need a vacation, maybe. I don't know. I need it's that queer to book talk. <laughs> yeah. It's called New York. We're going back. It's I know. true. Honestly, it's true. we need to. I need to move. It's too expensive there. But if I could, I would. Yeah, um, that's why I left. Yeah. <laughs> okay, so with your publishing background and now writing a book, what advice would you give to future writers? Because we have a lot of, like, future writers who listen to the podcast. Oh, God. Um... <laughs> I mean, I have advice for every stage of the process. So I guess I would say if we're coming at it from a perspective of like you're currently writing your work in progress and all that stuff, um, I think what really helped me, and this is sort of the problem I'm having now with trying to write a second book, is that when I wrote Fresh, even though I was working in publishing, I like didn't, I wasn't in my head about it at all. Like, I was at the very beginning when I was asking advice and, you know, Mm -hmm. trying to like figure out how I could write the best story to get published. Mm -hmm. And I was getting really bad advice and I ended up just shelving it. And so the second time around, when I picked it back up, I just shut out everything that I possibly could. And I didn't think about writing something specifically for publishing. Um, And I think that's why I was able to write it. So like, I look back on it and I'm like, I didn't, it's not that I like struggled with it a lot. Like there were definitely moments where I was like, you know, I got stuck, especially with the plot. And then it took me a really long time to realize the whole Emma thing came in later. But like once I figured that out, it was smooth sailing after that. But even just getting to that point, I just didn't think about what other people would want to read. Nobody read it. Nobody read any of my writing. I didn't show anybody. (laughs) Like no friends saw anything. Um, The only person who read anything was my agent and that was it. So I just like really kind of just trusted my instincts Mm -hmm. and that helped me knock out that first draft. And I think that's the most important thing is just getting through that first draft because then once you go back, like I ended up rewriting it like five or six, I actually think it was like this total of seven times from start to finish, but I would, you know, take parts that I'd already written and move things around. But for the most part, I wasn't really writing anything new. Only a handful of new chapters were actually written. I was just sort of fixing what I'd already written and then putting it into a different puzzle pattern. Um, But everything was sort of there, especially with like the voice of Elliot. Like I never second guessed her once I knew what her thing was it just I stuck to it and I just didn't second guess anything I didn't overthink it and I know that's a lot easier to say to somebody don't overthink something yeah (laughs) than it is to actually do but I would like strongly recommend using Elliot's mantra which is just fuck it just say fuck it and then like 
and write. Just do it. Just yeah. do it. Just sit down, say fuck it and write. Um, the best thing that I also would recommend is if you're a person who second guesses your writing, don't write on like a laptop with Microsoft Word or Google Docs or anything like that or Scrivener. Um, get one of those like either the free write or um, you could even handwrite in pen or some way that prevents you from going back and edit constantly mm -hmm. editing yourself. I use the, um, I like have it around here somewhere. <laughs> I use this thing called the Neo 2. It's the Alpha Smart Neo 2. You can get it on eBay for like 25 bucks and okay. it's just a typing tool. It's just text-based. Yeah. You can only see three lines. That's it. And you have to hardwire it into your computer in order to transfer the, the text. So it's extremely old school. It's from like the early 2000s. Oh my goodness. Um, but it is an amazing drafting tool because you can't really go back and edit your stuff. I mean, you can, but it's a huge pain in the ass. So it's right. not in your best interest to do that. Um, so I find that not being able to edit as you are drafting is probably the best thing that you can do yeah. <laughs> um, because otherwise yeah. people just, they stop and they spend so much time on the words and like the sentence structure and all this stuff. And I'm like, trust me, that mm -hmm. will come later. Yeah. <laughs> You're going to have a whole copy editor to help you with that. Just get the gist of the story down first. That's um, smart. Yeah. So. Yeah. Okay. So question, can you give us some of your favorite queer books? Top three. <laughs> or top however um, many you can say yeah all right well one of the some of the ones that I worked on that I really loved obviously Simon versus a homo sapiens agenda because that was like the first time that I had read like a joyful queer book yeah. nobody died there was no barrier days <laughs> trope yeah. uh, that one yeah, <laughs> um so that one was really uh, important to me symptoms of being human I remember that book when we first published that book it was a pretty quiet book and nobody was really paying attention and I think that book was just ahead of its time yeah. and I'm so happy I literally just looked up the book sales for that book the, like two days ago because I was curious and um and it's uh, it's, it must be a book talk book because it is like got, yeah several thousand units have sold just this year and it's oh, an old book and I was like yes I'm so glad that people discovered this older title, um, you know, because when it first came out, it was just like crickets, but yeah. that's, that is for the, you know, <laughs> that's pretty standard for books that came out pre-Simon, like queer right. YA books that came out. Um, I also worked on like Every Day by David Levithan. I loved that book. Yeah. Um, that book was really, really well done. Um, sad and heartfelt and romantic and mm -hmm. that book was really fascinating and then on the adult side tell the wolves i'm home is yeah. oh my gosh that book oh that oh, book I've broke me oh god it, it is yes oh, b if you want to cry a lot and i don't usually oh, cry with books but that one was so good and so sad okay so i have a funny story about that book my grandmother lives across the street from me and she steals books from me all the time and reads them and then comes back and we do like a little book club together. Well, she stole that book from me and she came back just tears. And oh just, no. She's like, that's the best book I've ever read. And yeah, then, I don't, don't want to read it yet. <laughs> <laughs> and yeah, loved it. Loved it. And then she made me sit down and read it. She was like, no, no, no. Put this at the top. Put this at the top. And so oh so good so it so is good. it is so good but it is very I'm sad and I always have to warn people I'm just like look it's it's very very sad but it is if you can if you do read it like 
it will stay with you for a very long time. (laughs) It's just visually wonderful. It's a coming of age, but like coming of age for like a 12 year old girl and Mm -hmm. an older gay man. And it's just, it's so wonderful. Um, So I love that book. And then my, one of my favorite books of all time, in fact, it's the one book I read every single year over and over again, because it, especially during times when I need to be reminded, like why we all love books and like just art in general so much and why we do this even though it's it is hard and Mm -hmm. um you know takes a lot of work is just kids by patty smith and it's not fiction so it's a it's a memoir of her relationship with robert maplethorpe before Mm -hmm. he like came out in the 1980 or 1970s actually in new york city and how they lived together in the chelsea hotel and they were being artists and you know she was writing at the time and she was working at like a bookstore and she wanted to be a poet and you know and he wanted to be an artist and but then he started to discover his sexuality and then he started to like really go off into that community and she was sort of doing her own thing at the same time and then they both found success like independently because of each other Mm -hmm. and it's like even though it's a memoir it reads like fiction it is Oh, I love <laughs> their story so much. And, you know, he died of AIDS, but it's like a wonderful yeah. tribute to him and his art and just all of the great yeah. artists that came up through that generation. Um, and it's just a really, really wonderful story. So I read that one all the time. I think that's a really great piece of queer fic or not fiction, but queer, yeah. <laughs> queer history. Yeah. <laughs> I wrote it down. I haven't heard of that one either. So no, yeah, it won through. like the the National Book Award like a couple of years ago and all this stuff like Patty Smith is an amazing writer but um right. that it's it's so good and it always inspires me I'm like I'm gonna move to New York and be an artist and then I'm like yeah. all right that New York that Patty writes about does not exist anymore yeah. old school New York it would be fun to like time travel back to that New York yeah I mean she lived like she was like homeless in times you know or in Tompkins Square Park in the East Village and was living in Bushwick for a while and uh you know and then was able to live in the Chelsea hotel for like 10 bucks a month you know something <laughs> it, where it's just like nice. that New York doesn't exist yeah, anymore yeah. Oh my God, 10 bucks <laughs> a month know. could you imagine like they're uh, literally turning that hotel Chelsea into condos so yeah. <laughs> and definitely not for 10 bucks a month so nope no, <laughs> no. oh my god well thank you so much Margo Yay. we really enjoyed chatting with you Thank you so much for having me. You guys are awesome. And your podcast is so wonderful. Thank Thank you. You have to come back. Yeah. I would love to come back anytime. I'll read this uh, Tell the Wolves I'm Home book and we can just cry for (gasps) 40 minutes on a podcast. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, my God. Oh, it makes me want to go to what is what's the amusement park that they talk about? It's it's still there. It's still like in um, out right outside of New York City. I can't remember the name of it, but it's still there. You can still go to it. It's just upstate a little bit. I'll have to um, Google it. But yeah, we'll have to go. <laughs> yeah. Oh, God, Can you uh, remind people where to find you on the internet? Because we forgot to ask you in the beginning. Yeah. Um, you can find me on, I'm on Twitter. I'm mostly more active on Instagram, but I'm on Twitter, Instagram, and now TikTok sort of. <laughs> Look at you. Fun. Our TikTok generation. <laughs> we'll see. It's um, The more I do it, the more I'm like, oh God, I'm old. <laughs> <laughs> so I just I, I now I'm there mostly as a way to appreciate yeah other yeah, people's videos yeah that life yeah well we will right, link all that stuff so in the much. description thank, thank you. you so much for having me 
Cheers, Cheers. clears. <laughs>